Hello, and welcome to the TV Movie Rewind Podcast with Matt and Todd. Hello. Or is it us? How could you tell? Maybe we've been assimilated into another being. (laughs) Um, So this would be our third John Carpenter movie? This is our third John Carpenter movie. It's our 50th episode, all, all told, so we decided, you know... Go back to our favorite director, and since we've done my favorite John Carpenter movie, Assault on Precinct 13, and your favorite John Carpenter movie, Halloween, we would go with another one of his renowned classics, The Thing. Yep. Now, I think most people know this, The Thing, when it first hit cinemas in 1982, bombed hard. Yeah, apparently so. Did not do well. Uh, Other films that did not do well in 1982 were also Halloween 3. While John Carpenter didn't direct that, he was involved in the production. And the famed Blade Runner. And all three of these movies have been revisited and discovered and are now renowned as as great films. Yeah, it's it was definitely a sign of the times more than um, a treatise on the quality of the three movies themselves. Because the three movies objectively are well made. Like there's there's nothing really wrong with them. But if you're not in the right mood or we're expecting something else, I mean, yeah, I could see them being polarizing. Even this one, even this one, this one's a hard watch for me. And I and I you know um, and not in like a uh, like in, in that I don't like the movie way. It's just it's still unnerving to the it's it's still unnerving to a very real extent uh, to this day. Well, I mean to be fair, to like the two John Carpenter movies, both of the movies that have been you know they both Halloween three and the thing are loved as they originally came out. Whereas Blade Runner, it's the director, it's other That's cuts of the true. film that you know people have discovered and and has improved the movie's quality yeah actually that's yeah you're right i I guess um because i remember growing i mean i know i've seen the original cut of blade runner on hbo or something but i was very young um and i so i barely remember it but i don't remember liking it and i do remember for years the movie remaining more or less panned like maybe liked by you know it was probably a cult uh, you know a, a, a classic at the time at best right but then, yeah, I forget when it was. Sometime what in the uh, late '90s or whatever the um, uh, the director's cut came out, or, or or whatever it was, and then suddenly it was like reappraised. Yes. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, and you're right. Yeah, I mean, Halloween three, on the other hand, um, and this movie, it's not like they had like special editions and stuff that like vastly changed things. So yeah, they they are as they stand, and they still no, stand. I mean... Today, the thing is on most people's top ten list when it comes to sci-fi horror. Sure, I mean the three movies you just mentioned. I mean the three movies we've done. Um, you know, unlike a lot of movies like perhaps your Runaways and your uh, Invitation to Hell's. Um, you know, these are certainly well-known movies, and if you're genre fans, and if you're listening to this podcast, you probably are. Um, these three movies, um, as well as say uh, Big Trouble in Little China, which is I guess this would be our fourth then because we did Big Trouble in Little China, didn't we? Oh yes, that's right. Yeah. So yeah, this is our fourth John Carpenter movie. <laughs> um, but these four like are going to appear, and you know I don't care about rankings; I never have. But these four are going to appear probably in your you know DVD collection or at least you know list of movies you like, if not love. 
Well, yeah, I mean, at this point, I mean, John Carpenter's number one movie has always been Halloween. But I think at this point, you know, if you had put up a fan poll, the thing might come in as number one. I I mean, I think it really goes generationally to an extent. Um, I mean, to me, like Halloween was the one that I grew up with, not the thing for whatever reason, Uh, probably because it was panned for so long. So I just no one no one was inclined to show it. I will say that, like, the differences in tone between... The, I mean, they're both horror movies, objectively, where people are murdered and, and objectively... Well, not murdered, but necessarily killed, anyway, in objectively brutal ways. But uh, The Thing is a much, much, much more visceral, much more gory movie than Halloween is, right? Uh, it's a it's it's somewhat more in your face, but also, you know, has, has its John Carpenter, like, um, subtlety to it that just makes it. But... Um, you know, I've seen it multiple times. I own it, but there's a certain and and certainly certain scenes that are just tough to get through. Again, not because they're bad. Like there's there's something wrong with this movie, and I have to suffer through it. It's just because they still. Uh, like another movie in in a similar sense is The Hills Have Eyes, right? To change a little bit, like Wes Craven's uh, Hills Have Eyes, the um, the original, obviously. Like I, that's a movie that again is good. Um, I'm pretty sure I own it. I've seen it multiple times, but it also can be a pretty gut-wrenching movie uh, uh, at moments. So that one's a little bit, it, it can be rough to get through. Like I have to, I almost have to psych myself up a little bit to see it. Um, and I don't have to do that with Halloween. You know, Halloween, I could watch it anytime um, for any given mood and it's going to fit that, you know. Um, so I sort of get it. Like I sort of, I sort of get like the night, the, the original like revulsion of it. But again, as far as like the technical aspects of the movie, they're, they're on point. It's, it's probably his best film. I mean, yes. I, and it is indeed a bleak nihilistic movie. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's just a rough movie, but it's really, really, really good. And the first of what he calls his apocalypse trilogy, which the movies aren't themselves related but they all deal with a potentially world-ending event. It's uh, this movie, In the Mouth of Madness, and Prince of Darkness is what he considers his Apocalypse trilogy. Right. So, you know, I don't think, like we said, we don't need to describe this movie to anybody. I think everybody who's listening has heard it, so... Yeah, probably seen it, presumably own it. (laughs) We don't, you know, but a, a battle of you know, survival where it really is at almost points, it's like do or die. And, you know, it's, and at some one point, the, the protagonist of this movie even realized like, it isn't even about us anymore. We can't let this thing get loose. Right. I mean, it's, it's a movie that um, really um, hits paranoia as a theme to the point where any single one of them are willing to just like flamethrower the others in order to survive and or make sure the other thing doesn't. Um, They're very much like, they're they're very much having to deal with the fact that these friends who they've been with on this base, like alone for, I don't know, months, right. That they're suddenly just going to have to like turn on each other and like, look, even if you are human, uh, there is something in me that, you know, I can't take the chance or at least each of them have to deal with the fact that the other is making that calculation as to whether or not they can take a chance as well as them themselves. And um, it just gets more and more tense as it goes through. So this is the second ad- adaptation of the story by John Campbell, Who Goes There? 
The first was a Howard Hawks produced, you know, sci-fi classic, which I've also have and I also really enjoy watching. It's a fantastic movie. Yeah. It stars James Arness as the thing, but the the original movie takes away the thing's shape changing ability. Yes. So gone is the paranoia of who can we trust and more is it's like, you know, the alien us against the alien and we need to stop this thing. Right. In this case the the remake is actually a bit more faithful to the source material. Yes. And I actually remember watching uh, a scene the first time I saw a scene from the first thing with James Arness, you know, just happened to be walking through the room, I think, while our Uncle Frank was watching it on TV. We were probably visiting, you know, our grandparents. Mm-hmm. And I saw, you know, they opened the door and James Arness attacks. And, you know, I didn't see much of it. But at first I thought it was a Frankenstein movie because James Arness almost looks like the Frankenstein monster a little bit. Kind of. Yeah, he's in, got that like head prosthesis. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that was my first encounter with this material. And then I remember seeing this movie on afternoon TV, probably in the late 80s, because like a lot of movies that don't do well, it's sold to television rather cheap, so it plays a lot on TV. Yeah, I think I watched it with you. I mean, did we watch it together for the first time? I feel like we did. Well, I remember like the first time I watched it, I think I was watching it alone and I was just a little too creeped out by it to enjoy it because i mean the effects by rob botin are you talking about oh i'm sorry i thought you're still talking about the original <laughs> no no yeah gotcha gotcha about... gotcha yeah no i don't i don't think i honestly saw this until probably a little later yeah in the early like 90s at, at the earliest the effects are so disturbing oh man so creepy and it's still impossible to believe that he pulled these off in 1982 right entirely with practical effects um no no computer help whatsoever um it's it's, it's, it is it is quite fast and they hold up so well they are the most amazing special effects i think i've probably seen in any movie ever yeah down to what they pulled off at the time they pulled it off the 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 effects um and the effect that gets pulled off is as effective as um alien um or really any other you know like um uh you know your your dawn of the dead like it's just it's it's incredible that um you know they get burned into your memory (laughs) they really do it's a very disturbing movie in that respect or thrilling i guess depending on your temperament when you're watching it but i can definitely understand like being disturbed by it in the um in the early 80s if you again if you weren't really expecting that especially if you were coming from relatively tamer fare such as halloween which had very little blood maybe not even any like you know um uh and then to, to to go to this it's just it which is just so in your face um and then it's interspersed again with like true tension between all the, uh between the paranoia that they're dealing with um and uh and and you know the cold and, and it's just it's a lot man it's it's the, the movie kind of beats you up getting through it yeah i think the first time i really saw the movie all the way through i probably was in my 20s and had bought it on vhs and experienced it for the first time that way yeah that and might then, have even been the first time i saw it you know i got it on dvd probably in 98 so i would have been 25 at that point and 
yeah, it just, you know, because we'd become John Carpenter more and more. Like, we'd always liked John Carpenter, especially because of Halloween. And, you know, his later movies, you know, we'd just be, we'd, we'd become fans. And by the mid to late 90s, I was all in on John Carpenter. He couldn't do no wrong. I had to see every one of his films. Mm-hmm. I had to own every one of his films. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's just it's just an amazingly fast-paced, gory, cynical, nihilistic, and but but also like you can believe the reactions of these characters. Oh, completely. Because like they're completely isolated. And first, they're you know let's face it, they're they're, they're stationed at an Antarctic research station. Right. So these guys have to be. For the most part, you know, they kind of get along with each other, but nobody goes down there because they're people persons. Well, that and it's just like, I don't, you know, it's not like they're in a relationship, right? So being stuck with someone, um, and I don't, I don't know, maybe they knew each other from like further along, but it's just like they, they're already together for months. So even on a good day, it's freezing cold. Now, I'm sure they're thrown into their work or whatever, but you can see they were already getting kind of testy with each other. And that was on a that was before this all happened. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't say it in the movie, but I think part of McCready's backstory is that he was, you know, McCready played by Kurt Russell is that he was a pilot in Vietnam. Okay, and he's down there in a a frozen white hell trying to hide from his demons. Okay, um, you don't really get much in the, you know, we know Clark by Richard Mauser. He's the dog handler. A frequent uh, actor in movies, in our, in our movies He's that we cover. He's come up a lot in, yep. in this podcast. Uh, Wilford Brimley's character, Blair. Um, there's the doc who is, Blair seems to be probably the biologist. Right. Um, doc is literally the doctor that keeps them all, you know, there for the, the health of the team. Right. Uh, Medical doctor, Fuchs, yeah. Versus, uh, let's say, scientist. Fuchs is also one of the scientists. You don't get much. Uh, Windows is the radio man. Yep. Windows. Uh, geez, who plays Windows? He was Fox in, in the um, Warriors. Uh, Tom Waits. Well, Tom G. Waits. Yes, he was He was Fox in the Warriors, another one of our favorite movies. Um. And then there's like Norris and Gary, who's obviously the team leader, but we don't really, you know, it doesn't really get into much of like Giles. No idea what Giles is. Other yeah. Than, uh, Giles may be just, you know, one of the maintenance workers who helps keeps the whole project together. Yeah. We never actually get into, because Knowles looks like he's the, he's the chef um, or, or cook or whatever. And like, I, well, right. <clears throat> like I imagine... I imagine all of them have like an engineering and or science job. And then this is the other thing they do because the base is still a base and you have to live there. Like I, I imagine this is sort of like a submarine kind of situation where everybody has to know some aspect of each other's jobs because it's not like you're going to get reinforcements easily. Exactly. This is a research station. So you have the research staff and the scientists and then you've got their support staff. Right. So, yeah, it's like they obviously they're friendly with each other, but boy, does like so. Right at the beginning of the movie, we're introduced to you know the 
the the thing invades the camp as a dog. And, you know, we find out that a nearby Norwegian camp had found a flying saucer buried in the ice, uh, unleashed it. The thing killed them all. The last two survivors chased the dog. They end up getting killed. And now the dog is loose in the camp and the dog has started to infect people. And that's kind of a crazy opening, right? Because it starts off with a helicopter throwing like bombs at a dog. You know, <laughs> it, is, the base. it is amazing. I do want to it is amazing at how much artillery these Arctic research stations apparently carry. Right. Because, yeah, because the guy has like an AK. The, they the Norwegians the are armed to the teeth. The Americans are armed to the teeth. Gary's carrying a gun around in a holster with him, like mm-hmm. it's the I, polar bears, I guess. I don't know, but I don't know what the revolver would have done against a, a, a polar bear. But yeah, 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 they're both packing like the uh, when the Norwegian one of the Norwegian ones when they land, he's got like an AK for some reason. So, so. Yeah, and, and there are like, you can go online and find, you know, sites dedicated to this movie where people have, you know, taken their theories and mapped out the rate of infection and who's infected first and how the infection spreads through the camp. Yeah, it's kind of fun. Um, I, my personal theory is that Palmer is the first infected. Hmm. And the reason I go with that is I think Palmer closely matches the silhouette because when, when you first see, you know, you see the dog enter a room, you only see the silhouette of a person who turns to see the dog come in. And that implies that he's the first person infected. We don't see who it is, but I think Palmer is the one that most closely matches that, that silhouette. I see what you mean. Yeah. I could, I can agree with that. So, you know, not only are these these men having to battle because when they first encounter the thing, it's killing the dogs in the dog pen. It does what now? It kills the dogs in the dog pen. That's not in any of the additions that um, I have. Interesting. I didn't know. As far as I, well, I mean, as far as I know, the dogs make it out just fine. Like the in every version I've seen, it just I just kind of like. Like there's always this like two minute skip, and I just assume the dogs are all fine. So I don't, I don't. That oh, must have oh, a special okay. edition or something. Because I don't. Yeah, you you go by the clock preferred edition. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So they encounter the the thing in the dog pen, and they don't know what it is, but they know it's weird and pissed off. <laughs> yeah. And McCready sends one of the guys to Charles with the flamethrower. You know, it's like McCready <laughs> wants the flamethrower. And, and while Childs does react like McCready wants the what, you're still kind of like, they got a flamethrower? I mean, I guess it makes, it would certainly be useful in the Antarctic, I guess. Yeah, I guess if you really need to, to get a, get ice off of things, that would be a useful tool to have. I mean, they had one an alien in, in deep space. Um, uh, why not? I mean, I guess in the Arctic, I, I could see it. Well, an alien, it was a rigged together job. Oh, that's true. That's true. But yeah, I mean, I actually, you know, if I'm going to be, you know, I'm not going to why nitpick this movie. I can actually see where, oh, and here's your flamethrowers because you're going to need to melt stuff yeah, yeah in this frigid climate. So, you know, I, that's that's fine. So they have this encounter first with the alien in, in the dog pens. And then they're like, all right, well, I guess we killed it. And then they realize 
that there's bigger problems. Right. And uh, Blair, played by Wilford Brimley, is the first one through his studies to realize, like, no, this thing can mimic us. And we need to figure out, you know, whether any of us may be infected by this thing. I mean, this is and, a this is a great cast and 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 a and a great role, obviously for Kurt Russell, you know, uh, one of our favorites. But Wilford Brimley is amazing. <laughs> Wilford Brimley is always amazing, but yeah, he really He's so does. amazing. So I love I love him in this. And so, as members start to die and become obviously infected, mm-hmm. they start to almost, tr- nobody trusts each other. Now the paranoia sets in. Right. You know, now who can we trust? Like once they realize, all right, well, maybe we can do something with the blood we have in storage to create a test and see if that can figure out if any of us are infected. And then like, oh, the blood's been tampered with. Somebody got to the blood. Well, who had access to the blood? Well, the doc has access, but Gary has the key. And well, the, you know, anybody could have gotten me the, those keys from me. Like, oh, no, you keep you keep those track of those keys better than anybody. And, mm-hmm. you know, Windows runs to get a gun. And now they're pulling guns on each other. And you Yeah, know, they got a bunch of shotguns, too, which, again, I, I'm assuming polar bears, but I, I, don't, I don't know. But are there polar bears in the Antarctic? You know, that's a good question. Um, I just wonder if it's 80s paranoia and the Cold War is still on and they're worried about the Russians attacking. Yeah, maybe. That's a, that's another point, yeah. Because um, at one point after, you know, when, when they that. have their first encounter with the Norwegians, one of them's like, well, maybe we're at war with the Norwegians. <laughs> this is true. They would be far enough away that uh, they, they wouldn't know. Because they can't, they establish they can't get radio communication out, and um, throughout the movie, the alien is sabotaging, you know, the base, uh, destroying. Yes, right. you know, destroying equipment, destroying their 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 means of. Well, actually, their means of heat, and yeah, we're pretty sure Blair destroys the helicopter and the tractor to keep them all trapped there. Correct. Because and he destroys the radio because he doesn't want any of them escaping because if. One of them is infected and they get to a populated area. Well, the thing can take over the world through an infection rate in 27,000 days. I think it's something like, I thought it was something like 27. Oh, what the heck was the number? I didn't really, I thought it was more like three years or so. I don't remember the number. I don't remember the number, but either way, yeah, he's got like a prediction model that says that, um, you know, it can assimilate the entire planet. And uh, also, quickly. I believe at this time, Blair is infected. Mm-hmm. And I think he knows he's infected. I think he knows the infection is taking over his body. And that's what contributes to his insanity. You think so? Or do you think he... Um... I think he got infected dissecting the thing. I mean, it makes sense based on how we think the physiology works. And he started to realize it was happening. And that's why he goes nuts. And I think part of him, t- too, was also in con- semi in control of the thing because he's also the one that really starts sowing the seeds of don't trust this person and don't trust that person. And we know for by the end of the movie, neither of the people that he 
true he picks out were infected do you suppose so then you said well, so when when you see him as like i'm all right now oh, he's, <laughs> uh, he's definitely, he's definitely alien that. okay all right. all right definitely in my opinion but and here's the thing we should i mean it makes sense it, we it, should it, also stay. given later events according to john carpenter himself there is no definitive answers to any of this in the movie Right, right. Like it's not like um, an oversight. It's not like forgotten. It's just nope. This is the way he intended, and it's supposed to be ambiguous. It's supposed to be ambiguous. So any conclusion fans have drawn, and fans have drawn many, many conclusions, are for the most part correct. For their, you know, the only thing they can't say is the director intended for this, because a carpenter himself has said he's left it ambiguous. So anybody's theories are just as correct as anybody else's, but unless you want to say John Carpenter, no, this is, according to John Carpenter, this is how it goes. Well, no, according to John Carpenter's, he's, he shrugs his shoulder because he even says that they had discussions during the movie, during the filming was, if somebody's infected, do they even truly know if they're infected? True. I mean... We don't necessarily know anything about this creature at all, except the fact that it seems to be assimilating, but that's about it. It seems as though if it infects you on a smaller level, it will slowly take over your body cell by cell. But it also seems like it has the ability to grab hold and shape into you, but that takes a little bit more time. Like the character... Like a digestion. Like the, the character we first they first really see that, oh my God, this is what this thing can do. I forget the character's name, but he's the bald guy that gets caught in the storage department yeah. after window leave, Windows leaves and they see him and he's half transformed. You know, that's when they're like, oh my God, you know, this thing could be any of us. Right. And in fact, we also, there's the theory that Doc Fuchs burned himself alive because he knew he was infected and didn't want to, there's, there's, again, no definitive, we don't know if the thing burned him, we don't know if he burned himself on purpose, we don't know if he burned himself on accident. It's only a theory McCready puts forward that maybe he set himself on fire because he knew the thing was taking him over. Do you suppose, as, as, um, we later find out with the blood test. Do you suppose the... Because uh, I've never been entirely clear on it. Do you, d d Is the alien able to replicate itself as well? Again, it's never really made clear. Or duplicate, I should say. Like, you know, like make more of itself, I guess. I mean, it can obviously... It, it, we, we know it can separate its parts individually and those parts continue to live on. Right, which, and that's like it would. I wonder if like it eventually comes back to the host or what. Spectacular fashion. Yeah. Well, the theory is that each and every cell is its own independent organism. Right, and that and that exactly. So that would lead me to believe then any one or more of them could be alien, or whatever. Right. Yeah. Right, and at that, there's that point in the movie where McCready says straight out, he goes. I know I'm still human, and I know some of you are still human, because if you were all infected, you'd all just rush me right now. Right. And we also know that this thing can't change shape instantly. 
it almost seems like a painful process for it to change shape. Almost like, yeah, almost like American Werewolf in London. Style. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a slow, gruesome transformation. And it can transformation. It seems like it can transform into anything it has previously infected. Anything, anything organic anyway. Yeah. For all I know, it can turn into a chair or something. But it, it's, it seems to be taking over like dogs or people. But it seems like if it infected a dog and then it infected a human, it could go back to looking like a dog if it wanted to. Right. So, I mean, this whole movie is filled with like, you know, one of my, when, when, when Doc and McCready first go back and visit the Norwegian base to see if, you know, they can, you know, obviously something's up there. So they go. And one of my favorite things in any type of horror or sci-fi is when the heroes encounter that almost Mary Celeste situation where they get there and it's like, all right, there's nobody left alive. What the hell happened here? And there are only questions. Like they find an ax in the wall and they find this big chunk of ice that obviously something came out of and they find somebody who has possibly committed suicide at the radio and they find this deformed creature that they bring back and they're like, what is that? Is that a man in there? What what happened here? Right. It's just so creepy and because, you know, even the audience doesn't know. We kind of know because, you know, we're watching a movie called The Thing. Right. And whether we've seen it before or not, we can kind of get into ourselves. Like, obviously, you know, because the opening shot of the movie is a flying saucer. A flying saucer, yeah. So we can kind of piece some of this together. But still, it's just also chilling. And we don't know, you know, because, again, as we're watching the movie... We don't know who's infected and who's not. No. No, in fact, you really don't know until last moment to really gruesome effect. And as the, the trust breaks down, you, you could almost like, at one point, they think McCready has been infected. Mm-hmm. Because, and again, I think this is, is Doc Blair who like we at one point we think Doc Blair has been locked up in this tool shed and secured in there, but we soon we we learned by the end of the movie he could come and go in there as he pleased. Yes, right. It, it seems like he will. He maybe he even did helped frame up McCready because I... Nalls finds McCready's clothing jammed up in in uh, uh, a stovepipe. And so that makes him suspect McCready. So he, when he's out with McCready in the snowstorm, he cuts McCready loose, makes him way back to the base and starts telling everybody, I cut him loose. I found this. I think McCready may be infected. Right. And so Childs takes command, uh, Keith David, and another great performance by Keith David, and they start locking everything up and... You know, they know McCready's trying to get in, but they don't want to let him in. And Windows is like, he'll die out there. Like, yeah. Well, what if we're wrong about him being infected? Or as he says, what if we're wrong about McCready? And Childs just cuts right through the bullshit and says, then we're wrong. Exactly. Like, it's at that point now. (laughs) And then as they realize he's breaking in through another way, even North is like, oh, this is it. This is it. This, you know. It's, it's life or death for all of them. 
and they know they can't trust anybody, even maybe the person they're with. And yeah, it's just, you know, it's kill or be killed. Okay. It's, 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 again, it's, it's every scene. There's, there's no wasted scene. Um, it's absolutely, it's absolutely amazing. Um, and then again, each, not each scene, but every appearance of the creature is just punctuated with just these very gross, especially for 82, um, especially for like mainstream theater um, effects that just really, I mean, again, they're, they're still, they, they still get to me now. It, it's it can be t- it's 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 tough to get through because like you said everything is so slow and and deliberate the uh, the revelation of this creature every time and every time it's different it's fascinating every time it's a different gruesome and it escalates and it escalates right. point where and here's the thing about the thing it obviously does such a good job assimilating and, and copying. If it copies a person with a heart condition, then the thing has a heart condition. Right. Right. Um, I guess I didn't, I always assumed it was faking, but I guess I didn't really think of it that way. No, I think, you know, or again, it was taking over like Norris and Norris was feeling the effects of that on his heart. True. Good point. You know, we we don't know because you know we we see you know like in any movie when somebody is like Ugh, having chest pains, it's you know that's a cough. Any character coughs in a the movie, they're dead by the end of the movie. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, yeah, we um, see a couple of scenes earlier where he's obviously having some trouble, and then during the highest of the tension, he collapses. And then we get the amazing scene with the chest paddles mm-hmm. and the doc is trying to revive him. Poor copper. And he goes in for the that, that second and that chest of teeth opens up and chomps off his arms. I mean, it is by this point, the movie has gone so over the top. You're like, oh, my God, where is this going next? Yeah. And it even it builds on that. Right now, it's coming off the rails. Like it's just coming apart. It's it, yes. it's incredible. McCrady is flame throwing the creature. The creature is dying. This you know screaming. The head, of the neck elongates. The head plops off. Then the head grows spider legs and tries to scuttle out the door. And you get the great line from Palmer: eh, "You gotta be effing kidding me." <laughs> delivered so well and and uh it chapter two had to pay homage to it yeah with bill hater and doing this a similar thing happens and bill hater says the same line when he witnesses it happening in it chapter two so from it from thing to it yes from thing to it Yeah, it's 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 an it's 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 incredibly well timed, and um, it is literally what is running through your head the first time you watch this movie. And it's it, a nice; it does help break the tension a little bit because it is an unbelievably tense scene. Oh yeah! They just lost two more men. A horrific attack by the alien. The thing is burning down. Some of the, the the crew is trying to run in there with fire extinguishers to put out the fire because they don't want the base burning down around them because they'll freeze to death. And even McCready's like, no, no, wait, we got to let whatever this thing is burn up and, and die. Right. 
And it's this seeing the head separated that gives McCready the idea for his test that's going to prove who's human and who's not. Which is clever. And that gives way, that that bursts one of the greatest jump scares in movie history as far as I'm concerned. Oh man, I jumped two feet when it happened the first time. And probably even the second. Yes, because it's so well set up and so well executed. Yep. When it happens, you're not ready for it. Right, they don't. They don't kind of like point it out like a lot of movies do. It just no. They actually they even establish it in is slightly earlier mm-hmm. in in the scene. In the scene, they establish it. Nothing happens, and then they kind of do it again. And this time, there's a reaction. And you know, people who've seen the, seen the movie knows exactly what we're talking about. Could you imagine that? Like, I Could guess you I... imagine being tied up on a couch next to a guy who's transforming into a hideous creature. Oh, no, I was just going to say, can you imagine, you know, watching this movie for the first time on, like, a 40-foot screen? You know, again, you could... I haven't lost my mind. (laughs) And, you know, you think, although, you know, by 82, audience had seen Raiders of the Lost Ark, which has some extremely gruesome scenes in it. True. Oh, but, true, yeah, true, true. See, yeah, very true. Yeah. I could see where audiences were probably put off by this in 82 and not quite ready for it. Like, it would have been an assault of the senses in a theater, man. Um, I can see it. Yeah, I really can. Um, this is excellent on home video, though. Buy it if you don't somehow have it. And, you know, this is one of the few movies that John Carpenter doesn't score himself. Yeah, Eddie Amor Cohen, man. But he gets one of the greatest, you know, or composers for film to do it, you yep. know, and it's still, it's still got that, st- it still has a John Carpenter feel to it. Sure. Sure. You know, like, yeah. Very kind of a minimalist, um, minimalist tone to it. Yeah. Movie, uh, th- this is one, um, this is one where like the, the the soundtrack does not does not have the same force as it does in your usual um, carpet. I mean, it's still a really good soundtrack. Obviously, it's any more cone, but it doesn't have the same forefront as it does in some other movies. So, my one nitpick for the movie is after McCready's test proved successful, and they figured out who among them is human, and destroyed, you know, those that were the thing. And they decide, okay, we're going to go test Blair, who's still locked up out in the tool shed. Why don't all four of them just go? Yeah, you'd think safety in numbers. Yeah. Why, you know, let's all stay together now that we're all human. Now, again, this is also Monday morning quarterbacking. These these guys have been put through the ringer. They're probably not thinking straight. Yeah, we don't know how long they've been awake, too. But also that wouldn't lead us to our ambiguous ending is, right. if, you know, you know, as again, I think as everybody's listening knows by the end of this movie, we've seen Kurt Russell as McCready go one on one against the thing. As far as we know, destroy it mm-hmm. as well as the, and let's, you know, I got it. Let's, let's give, let's, let's, let's talk about this. Okay. By the time it's the last few of them, and the thing has destroyed their generator so that they can no longer heat the base and they realize they're going to freeze to death. McCready says, okay, look, it doesn't matter. We're not going to make it out of this alive, but we got to make sure this thing doesn't freeze up and survive 
because we know it can just sleep in the ice. Right. We know someone's just going to find it like we did. And... And, and these guys, you know, basically say, yeah, okay, this is our pack now. we got to destroy everything and burn this base to the ground so it has nowhere to hide. we got to find it and destroy it, whether it costs us our lives or not. Right. Because they're dying either way. Yes. So by the end of it, Kurt Russell has faced off against the thing, seemingly destroyed it, as well as the base around him. He goes stumbling through the darkness and then runs into Childs, who they were separated from for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. And they both sit down discussing, like, you know, the temperature's up because the fires, the, the camp's on fire. But it won't last long, and neither will we. And Kurt Russell goes, well, maybe we shouldn't survive. And Childs is like, McCready, if you're worried about me, I'm like, and, and McCready says, you know what? If we got any surprises for each other, I don't think we're in any condition to do anything about it. Yeah. And that's where the movie ends with, like, is one of them the thing? Is one of them human? Are they both going to, well, it's likely they're both going to freeze to death. Right. It's a completely ambiguous ending. John Carpenter himself, as I we've said in the like, and you can listen to the commentary on the DVDs or Blu-rays. He does a fantastic commentary with Kurt Russell for these this movie. Oh yeah, the commentary is great. And they he says like, who knows? And I've seen some fantastic theories online, which again aren't right or wrong because it's ambiguous, and Carpenter wants to leave it up to us. So whatever people have said is technically correct and technically incorrect. Right. It's like, it's, again, like I think I mentioned it to you in the car. It's like Schrodinger's plot. <laughs> like we don't yeah. really know. <laughs> but like, there's one there's one theory I saw break it down seed for seed that really tends to work. But again, it just happens to be that's the way it is. Now, you know, if I think they're both human because if one of them was the thing, why wouldn't they just attack the other? Well, I mean, based on what you're, you know, you were also positing before, if either of them, if either of them are affected, they infected rather, they may not know it yet. Right. True. You know, that's but... one of the that's one of the problems. Well, for, I mean, one of the to me, that's one of the ambiguous ambiguous notes then of the ending is like they could both be infected and not really know it. Um, either one of them could be infected and know it, right, and then not care, because again, freezing to death works perfectly fine for them. Um, so yeah, but I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, again, it's just I don't think Childs was infected because I believe his story is that he thought he saw Blair because he could have seen him wandering around. And with you, yeah, no, I, I agree. I, and I, he I agree. comes out of the snow, and I don't think McCready is infected because, as we've seen, it does take a bit of time. Mm -hmm. for them to fully form into a human form. right? And I don't think enough of that time has passed. Again, it could go either way, but I personally don't think either of them affect, are infected. No, um, no, I think they're both sadly, well, I guess, you know, I think they're both human and sadly just going to freeze to death in a few hours. Yeah. So, you know, certain things, you know, like McCready throughout the movie, well, through most of the movie, he has that that uh, crazy cavalry hat that he wears. Yeah. 
which I guess is due to the fact that the actual pilot for the film wore that. So they had to give they had to give Kurt Russell one so he'd match the shots of, you know, the guy flying the helicopter wearing the hat. And <laughs> totally he has makes to sense. come out wearing the hat. That totally makes sense. It becomes kind of iconic. It's a good look. Yeah. Um yeah, there's just oh, the the effects in this movie are so and and the, you know as much as the movie itself was panned critically, even the critics praise the effects as nauseating as they right. they might they may not have enjoyed the effects they may have found the effects nauseating, but they did say man those are some of the greatest special effects ever you know ever done. Right, like it's yeah, I get the same vibe when I when I watch like um, Day of the Dead or Dawn of the Dead to an extent. It's just like, oh, that is so gross, but well done, good good for you, clap clap. Like, <laughs> but man, that's so gross. And uh, yeah, this... I think on a forty foot screen, yeah, oh, that might have been overpowering. No, this is a really you know when it comes to a film of just about desperate survival by regular peeing because in the the original movie it's military men and scientists mm-hmm. you know and you know as they were often portrayed during that pill you know these brave stalwart people whereas in this movie they're much more almost like an alien they're just working joes for the most part you know some of them are scientists but you know they're down at the arctic research station and they're you know they're as regular as you can be right you know right, they're, yeah, they're, like... they're, they're not tacticians you know they obviously have some of the smarts but you notice the smartest ones are unfortunately the first to go the yeah. ones that are the, the real you know fuchs is probably the one that could have saved them all if he had lived longer you think so fuchs seemed to have it all down like he seemed to be the most centered the most rational he was the least you know he was obviously afraid but he was at least panicky i see what you mean okay um i i think if he'd had more time he probably could have come with the with the rational solution and maybe more of them would have been saved okay but again you know who knows uh this is just such a you know, it's hard to say enjoyable watch because it's a dark, grim, nihilistic, but it sucks you in so much. It's it's a fantastic horror movie. It's just, again, like, to me, I need to be in, like, a mood, <laughs> you know, because it's a lot to take in. It's a lot Which, to take in. And, and again, the ending is, a, is, is kind of rough because I, you're I like, best you... case scenario, these two guys just die and they're not aliens. But let's hope. I, I... Again, I think it's fair to say that's why it may not have found the audience in 1982. Exactly, or at least it seems, just... it seems evident. Yeah, and you know, a lot of people point out what was the big alien movie that year? Well, ET. People, right. who, you know, the more friendly, cuddly, lovable alien, as opposed to this horrific, monstrosity-changing monstrosity. Right. So yeah. Uh, there were uh, unofficial sequels, I guess, or like the first sequel that I encountered, and I think it was the first sequel, was done in comic book form by Dark Horse Comics. Um, they called it Thing from Another World. They gave it the title of the the original movie, probably to differentiate it from 
Marvel Comics the thing. Okay. But it's it was written by Chuck Farrer and art by John Higgins. And it's just amazing painted art. And anyways, this starts off with... Um, and it goes with, with our theory, too, that both Childs and McCready are human. Okay. And they're making their way across the ice, trying to get to the coast. Hopefully, we're close to the shipping lanes where they can signal a boat. Okay. And Childs ends up having to leave McCready behind because McCready can't go any further. And Childs just couldn't carry him any further, so... Childs goes off into the into the snow, and McCready is picked up by a uh, Japanese ship that spots him. McCready wakes up in their infirmary. The first thing he does is test himself to make sure he wasn't a thing. He passes the test, and then he steals the ship's helicopter to go back to the base and make sure everything's destroyed. Okay. While there, he uh, I the military shows up. They had somehow gotten windows sing one of windows radio transmission and had sent to rescue and they find McCready there burning everything down and everything dead. So he's arrested, but unfortunately they also find the remains of parts of the thing. One of the team is infected. They find Childs who had made his way to an Argentinian base nearby and it kind of all starts over again. It just, okay, I got you. More of the same. By the end of it, uh, we're almost where we started with Childs, uh, not Childs, uh, Childs seemingly dead and McCready freezing to death out in the, in the, you know, cold, hopefully having destroyed the thing. There are actually three different miniseries done by Dark Horse that all the the second one is called climate of fear where mccready is rescued from near death yet again but unfortunately this time he's brought to argentina along with an infected one of his rescuers has been infected so now the thing is loosed in argentina i'm pretty sure i read the former but i don't believe i read this one uh you might not have and then the third one takes place in an Australian fishing, a small little island, and McCready appears again, but he's more of a minor character. Now, this was never a series, right? Or was it... Is it was a series three, or a series of like novels? Just novels? It, it was a series of miniseries. Okay. Three separate, you know, stories, self, completely self-contained, sequels to each other, but it wasn't an ongoing series. Uh, same writer and team every time, or...? Um, I believe it's the same writer, but it's just, like John Arcudi does the art for Climate of Fear, which is the second one. And I believe it was Paul Galacci who does the art for the third one, which was called Eternal Vows. Oh, neat. And, and I'm sorry, who no, did you say? Sorry. Go ahead. Dark Horse Comics did it. Oh, Dark Horse, right. John Acuti did the Arcudi did the script for Climate Affair. Jim Somerville did the art. Okay. And for those interested, I will be posting pictures of from the comics on our Instagram account at Movie Matt's Royce on Instagram, all at one word, and our Twitter account also at Movie Matt's Royce, uh, one word. 
Now, um, what was your overall impression of them? I enjoyed them. The only problem is in the comic, they give you the impression that the thing can change you almost instantly. Okay. It's, it's, it's much more threatening because it seems like just the simplest touch and instantly you're infected and a huge monster. Do they, do they add anything else to its like repertoire of powers? Or? No, they kind of keep to the fact that, you know, as it, as it transforms people, it still tries to build itself a spacecraft to escape in, whether it's trying to escape onto a more populated area or maybe just trying to escape back into space. Because even in the movie where they find that it was building itself a spaceship, for all we know, it was trying to get off this hick planet. Yeah. I mean, you know, if, even if it wanted need... like humans as food, it's not going to find many of them there. And plus it's cold as balls. So yeah. Yeah. For all it knows, the entire planet is like this and it just wants to escape period. Yeah, fair enough. But um, yeah, why take that chance? Yep. Now in many ways it's, it's got a lot in common with the body snatchers. Oh, sure. Sure. And to some um, extent, um, or at least, you know, thematically alien. Yes. Another sequel to this was the video game, which was available on the original Xbox and PlayStation 2, as well as, I'm sure, other whatever other platforms were out during that time, where you play as, again, a military soldier who has shown up after the events to rescue the crew of Outpost 31. And if you recall, right at the beginning in the opening level, you find Childs frozen to death, but no sign of a crate. Right. Um, I I remember the game reasonably well. I remember liking it. Um, like it, it definitely had flaws, but some of the mechanics that it put forth, um, specifically that, that you would have this team, right? I think of what, two or three more members. You could have up to four people in your squad. Right. So you'd have these other members uh, in your squad. I, I can't remember if you could play. I can't remember if you could play multiplayer or not. But at any rate, you had a group of players and I'm sorry, a group of like, you know, computer controlled characters in your in your squad. Some of them you would find along the way. Um, and any one of them could be the thing. So you kind of had to like monitor their behavior lest they turn on you at any moment and, and tear you apart, which was always kind of fun and very tense. Well, yes, there was this mechanic too where you also had to, they didn't trust you sometimes when you found them and you had to show right. that no, I, you know, and the more you fought the aliens in their presence, the more they would trust you and, you know, vice versa. And, you know, sometimes they would be, you know, starting to panic and and not you know the more they panic the the less you, the the harder it was for you to control them because like you said sometimes you needed members of your squad to do certain tasks right like they may have had a specialty yeah to open something that you needed or whatever yeah it was a fun game again it 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 uh plays a little loose with how the thing operated but you know they also need to make an entertaining game as well Right, of reasonable length. Like, if you have a PlayStation 2 or, uh, you know, an old Xbox, if you're a retro gamer, actually even, uh, I think it's available on the, or was available on the PC as well. Um, it's worth a checkout. It's, because... again, it's, it's got flaws. It's not the, it's not the greatest um, game ever, but it was a, it was a fun mechanic that I don't really think has been, I think, like it's, yeah, I don't think it really has been copied since. No, I, I, I remember the controls were a bit archaic, but. Yeah, uh, yeah. 
a little it was a, fun, a little sloppy too, maybe. And and you can see game playthroughs on on YouTube if you're interested in just seeing you know the story as it plays out. Yeah, you know people have done playthroughs on YouTube. It was kind of fun. Like they did a decent job of having that like. Because when you were outside the base, you would have to walk the lines that they mentioned in the uh, movie, like yes, because... to get from point to point, and that was kind of a fun mechanic too. Like you really, it, it they did a really good job of um, of like sucking you in. I thought, and you would freeze as the longer you were out and exposed. You needed yep. to get into shelter and, and warm up. Yeah, they did a lot with the game to make it to make it feel like you were playing the thing. Right. It's. I mean, it's. It's more. It to me, it more works than not. If you're a fan of the of the movie and you want a little bit more, I think it does a decent job at that. Um, as just the game itself, it's maybe it's not the greatest, but it does. It, it's. It's a cool. It's a cool thing related game and does a decent job with it. And and there's a character modeled off of John Carpenter in the game. That's right. That's right. I completely forgot about that. Uh, there's also a board game that's a recent addition to the, oh, the franchise uh, thing infection at outpost 31 which is a cooperative game that you know Ooh. just like the, the 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 movie plays out you know cards are dealt and some people are infected and you, if you're infected you got to keep it quiet and slowly try to infect other people it's you you can watch people play that on YouTube as well oh, that's kind of that sounds pretty neat I'd like to check it out yeah, uh, look for a thing infection at Outpost Thirty One, okay. and there's there's some playthrough. You know, there's some how to play videos, and then there's some with people actually playing the game. Yeah, that sounds pretty cool. I'd like to check it out. Um, anything else? No. I mean, again, we could probably talk and and, and tear this you know this movie down to the to the the studs if we we wanted to, but. Oh, there's probably, um, yeah. I mean, this is, this again, this is not exactly an obscure movie. So there's, no, there's and more there's... than enough material, including, again, if you don't have, if you don't somehow have the movie, um, highly recommend actually buying it because if you're a fan of commentaries, this is an excellent one. You get both the director and um, Kurt Russell. Uh, you get a bunch of really neat special features that go into detail on those effects. Um, Rob Bottin's a really fun guy. Um, to watch through all that, so like it's it's a it's a good disc. It's a good reason, you know. Maybe you have it like digitally or something, or you rented it. Like if you if you really liked the movie, it it is a disc worth owning if you can find one with all the you know features and stuff on. Well, as far as I know, Shout Factory still puts out theirs on Blu-ray, so and that's got to have all the you know Shout Factory packs their discs with as much as they possibly can. Does it have like neat covers and stuff? Is that one of the neat cover ones? Oh, I'm sure it is. Yeah, that's I'm true. sure that's got some artwork on it that uh, that's original to to its edition. I have. I want to say it came out in the early 2000s, but I have a, um, the DVD copy. It's a special edition DVD copy um, with like a plastic slipcover. It's kind of neat. Yeah, I got the probably the first Universal release on DVD, and it still looks fantastic. It does, you yeah. Know, actually, the, it's, the DVD it's from, it's from 1998, and it still looked great when I put it up on, you know, my TV to watch it. You know, oh yeah, again, yeah, it, was, it was a really good transfer, very clear. Yes, and John Carpenter takes his filming very seriously. Yes, you know, the, so his movies always tend to look fantastic when you when you have the original source to work from. 
Oh yeah, no, I don't think I know of a bad. Yeah, uh, I mean there have been some like masters that didn't come out great in versions of things like Halloween. Um, you know, maybe the colors kind of come out wacky, but um, for the most part, no, they look great in any medium. They hold yeah. up, like the quality, everything about it holds up. And this is also, I think, this is a Dean Cundy movie. Um, he worked with Dean Cundy on this. Probably Dean Cundy was with him through like the first half of his career. Yeah, yeah. So you get the Dean Cundy magic too. Yeah, I should have. I'm sure it came up, but I wasn't really paying attention to that. I'm pretty sure he was. Yeah, I'll have to double check that. <laughs> What's kind of neat too about the opening, um, uh, just going back to the credits real quick. The the opening credits they start with the, you know the obvious Universal picture and the and then the producers, but then it goes to you know starring Kurt Russell. Um, the next credit is Ennio Morricone. Then you have the um, uh, the the editor, and then Rob Bottin. Um, so it like really is, yeah. It I right mean, away tells you the quality of all of these things. And Rob Bottin has to be the Whit Bissell Award winner here because those effects are probably the biggest star of this movie. Oh sure, sure. Um, it's it is inc- I mean I I I will have to watch the uh, special features again with him on it cuz I probably mention it but the amount of latex they had to go through in this movie must have been incredible. Um just gallons and gallons and gallons of latex. Latex, um, fake blood. Yeah. All know, sorts I'm of sure pneumatic and mechanical pneumat- devices. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it must have been, um, you know, it, 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 it could, I could very much see it being like a, like a playground for a, um, and I for mean, emerging effects artist. I mean, boy, does, does Wilfred Brimley sell it when he's dissecting that stuff? Oh yeah. Oh my god. I, oh oh man. my god! He's pulling out these like, oh, this is what looks like to be kidneys, and you know. I mean, I, I think even though I knew it was all obviously not a real alien because I'm an actor and it's a set, I still would have been grossed out by it. It's, it's objectively gross. And God knows what all that goop is. No, this is, I mean, we don't need to tell anybody he's a classic. Again, you look up, you put up any any lists of horror, monster movies, sci-fi movies, people are going to have the thing on their top 10, often near the top of the 10. Yeah, I mean, so, some of this podcast is about, you know, um, mentioning movies that, you know, we maybe think you don't know a great deal about. Obviously, the thing is not one of them, because um, then sometimes, especially for our 50th uh, 50th episode, we wanted to do a movie that we love. Just talk about a movie that we love and obviously a Carpenter movie. And I, I think by the time, you know, as we go through, we are probably going to hit on just about every John Carpenter movie. Oh, sure. Maybe not... Memoirs of Invisible, Invisible, likely not Memoirs <laughs> of an Invisible Man, likely not Village of the Damned, and possibly not Starman, the most un-John Carpenter, John Carpenter movie. Um, well, I mean Elvis. Yeah, or The Ward. The Ward, yeah. All right, so now we're like the jerk. <laughs> yeah, right. So everything except this <laughs> and this and this. Uh, but, you know, I, I'm, I remember being disappointed the first time I watched uh, Ghost of Mars, went to the theater to see it. It actually came out on my birthday in 2000. Uh, or was it 2003? I think it came out on my 30th birthday in 2003. Yeah, I want to. I, I think it came out a little later than 2000. 
Um, but regardless, I, I, I was disappointed the first time, but I've gone, I, when it came out on yeah, DVD, I'm like, you know, I watched it again. I'm like, what was my problem the first time? This is fun. This is an enjoyable, you know, monster movie, you know, almost zombies on Mars. Exactly. Yeah. It was a fun, it was a fun, um, I mean, it was it was almost a combination of right, like a zombie movie, and um, it had like almost you know assault on Precinct Thirteen kind of vibes to it. It's certainly and Escape from New York in a way. Yeah, it was neat. Yeah, well, it was originally started out as the third Escape movie. I did it. Yeah, basically, Ice Cube is playing uh, Snake Plissken, basically. I mean, it definitely feels that way, but I didn't know. I, I didn't know it was expected, or at least I probably forgot in the twenty years that it was mentioned. The um, that it was supposed to be an escape from New York. Yeah, it was supposed to be escape, escape from Mars. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, I see it. But uh, yeah, uh, and and you know, it's really like it is almost. It, it's it's another John Carpenter that's basically a western. Takes place on Mars, but it's like if a, a, a mining town, western mining town, was being attacked. And it is a mining town being attacked by the natives. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Hostile natives. So, yeah. why are we talking about that? Well, it, it takes over people like the thing. So it is kind of you know almost yeah, it's, another recommendation. It is. Yeah. It's almost like an amalgam of um, many Carpenter movies. It's a it's a fun one. So yeah, I might as well get to recommendations. Sure. So we have obviously the Ghosts of Mars. I'm gonna say the even the and again since it's a remake as well as a, of a classic earlier movie, the 1970s remake of Invasion of the Body Snatchers. I was gonna say yeah, Invasion of the Body Snatchers is definitely there. I mean, um, Alien uh, evokes a lot of the same emotion that I get when watching the thing. Um, it's not quite as visceral, but it's it's definitely got a you know very much in the same vein. Um, uh, so that's probably the biggest one for me. I mean, I was going to say escape. I'm sorry, um, escape from New York. I was going to say uh, invasion as well. And also the faculty, Robert Rodriguez. Oh, the faculty. That's a fun one. That's very much like if the thing got loose in a high school. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I didn't really think about it. It's been a long time since I even thought about that movie. I didn't know that was a Robert Rodriguez, or I guess I forgot. I, I believe, uh, who was the screenwriter for Scream? Uh, Kevin Williamson. Yeah, I believe he wrote the script and Robert right. Rodriguez directed it. Right, I remember it being, yeah, okay, all right, yeah, I was going to say, I remember being Kevin, uh, I remember Kevin Williamson being attached to it, but um, no, I guess He would have been the bigger name at the time. Sure, yeah, that's true. You know, anything Scream was such a huge hit. Anything he touched, they would have been like, oh, it's the guy who did Scream. Yeah, I guess he would have done uh, uh, El Mariachi by then, but maybe that's it. He probably would have been Desperado was before that. And uh, was it? Um, he would have done uh, Dust Till Dawn before that as well. Okay. But still, I don't think his name as Robert Rodriguez was quite made yet. No, not for a while yet, I wouldn't think. All right. Anything else you got? No, that's it. I guess it's the the seven degrees, if you're going to do it. Seven magnificent degrees. I'm going to make this real easy. Wilford Brimley was in Borderline with Charles Bronson. Right on. Borderline. Now, we've done the... um... Was that what did you do that one on the uh, Bronson special? We, we did not cover that one on the Bronson special because I don't think you would seen it. 
No, I hadn't. Um, I, is, I is it a good might one? have. I might have mentioned it in passing, but we really only covered the movies we both had seen. But in that one, it's that's a pretty good one because it's about Charles Bronson, Wilfred Brimley, Bruno Kirby. Uh, they work Bruno at they, they work their border patrol on the Mexican border. And what was surprising to be about the movie, because it was, you know, made in the early 80s, was that how sympathetic the movie is to the illegal immigrants coming over the border. Mm-hmm. Uh, even the Border Patrol is sympathetic. The villain of the movie is Ed Harris, who is a smuggler of the, he, who's smuggling the aliens over the border like and, a coyote. and selling them into slavery. Okay, and okay. he he murders Wilfred Brimley, who pulls over one of his trucks and murders Wilfred Brimley, and that's really how the case gets involved. But yeah, it was surprising because during the movie, as they're processing people and sending back along the border, Kirby, Bruno Kirby plays the rookie who's just been added to the squad, mm-hmm. and at the end of the, his first shift, he's like, "Is it always this bad? I mean, this guy we're sending back." has nothing to go back to. He sold everything he had to get across the border. And Charles Bronson is like, yeah, it's terrible, but that's our job. You know, they're coming into the country illegally. It's our job to find them and send them back home. Okay. And, you know, it does like, we know who's done it. And of course, a lot of the movie is, is uh, Charles Bronson trying to track them down and the FBI claiming jurisdiction because they're positive it was drug smugglers who killed Wilford Brimley. But Bronson's like, no, nah, it's not about drugs. It's about the humans they're bringing across the border. Um, is it an action movie or is it more of like a more subdued uh, than a thriller? Like, is he working his way through Ed Harris's like, you know? Yeah, it's much kind of more deal? of it's much more of a thriller. Okay. Than than action. There's some action in it, but no, it's it's not like Mister Majestic. Got you. Okay. Um, it's more, more investigative. Got you. Okay, but a good movie nonetheless. All right. Well, I'll have to see if I can. I'll have to see if I can find it. I believe it's streaming on Prime. Okay. If it's not regular Prime, maybe it was on my Shout Factory because I know I have Shout Factory with my not Shout. Yeah, Shout Factory TV with my Prime subscription. So it might have been there. I saw it on, but it okay. was definitely through Prime somehow. Okay. Next time I'm in a Charles Bronson mood, definitely. Well, okay, that's going to do it for our 50th episode. Thank you, everyone. Uh, It was a bit different because, you know, we didn't go through the movie, you know, scene by scene because I don't think it was necessary. But uh, we thank you for coming, and uh, we hope to have you back next time. Thank you again, everyone.